Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Com. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. Technically, every healing process in the body is a stem cell mediated response. So when we're talking about something like osteopenia and osteoporosis, what we become concerned with is can we get that osteoblast to actually create more bone tissue, right? Can we get that, get those numbers up? Estrogen, the female hormone, right? We know that that declines dramatically once we hit menopause. That's one of the things that actually increases the risk factors. Well, what a lot of people don't tell you is that estrogen will actually positively tell your MSCs that are already present in your bone marrow to differentiate into more osteoblasts so we can turn up that pro stem cell activity. So again, we know that estrogen is important, but that's one of the mechanisms by which it works. We have this healings happening, stem cell mediated. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't want to miss that. So pause this right now, head over to bonecoach.com and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore stem cells, regenerative medicine, and how it can help our health and our bones is Dr. Sabrina Solt. Dr. Sabrina Solt is a naturopathic medical doctor located in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's been practicing regenerative and anti-aging medicine since 2013. Over the years, she has mastered various treatment modalities such as prolotherapy, PRP, adipose and bone marrow-derived stem cells, as well as birth tissue biologics such as amniotic allograph and exosomes. She is known for crafting comprehensive and custom tailored treatment plans for her patients, which include things like diet and lifestyle changes, nutritional supplements, bioidentical hormones, peptide therapies, and of course, regenerative injections. In her free time, Dr. Salt enjoys reading, traveling, and spending time with her husband and three children. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. Salt. Dr. Salt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to talk to you today. Let's get into it. Let's talk about how did you get into regenerative medicine, stem cells, prolotherapy, all that kind of stuff. How did you develop a passion for this and why did you turn your practice to focus on that? Gosh, great question actually to really kick this off. Um, I was an athlete for most of my life. I played sports in high school, extracurriculars, all that good stuff. Uh, and I dealt with injuries myself. And of course, in the traditional medical model, you can take medications, you can go to some physical therapy. I did a lot of chiropractic for that stuff, but nothing really got me better. And then 
cut to 2013, I learned about prolotherapy, which is basically, it's this idea that when you re-stimulate uh, an injured area with a specific type of solution, you can actually trigger the body to go back in and heal it. So I ended up treating my very first patient with that therapy, a guy who had a, a really pretty severe rotator cuff injury. And I saw him heal. The shoulder got better, despite what the traditional medical model tells you is possible, where you have to have surgery and whatnot. Uh, and I just became obsessed with this idea that we can actually heal all these chronic injuries. Since then, as far as treating myself, I have done I've done my own hair injections to help my hair grow better. I've done my own neck. I've done my jaw. I have done my own shoulder, my both my hips, both my knees, my ankle, and my thumb. I'm sold, right? So I'm trying. I'm putting myself back together in the process of this. I'm treating my patients with this, uh, and it just became this 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 love of mine to help these people heal. So after prolotherapy, I started learning about the other various injection injections we can do. So PRP, which is uh, platelet-rich plasma, it's a product that we get from your own blood, no more difficult than a simple blood draw, and then also using stem cells from various sources, like a patient's own fat tissue, patient's own bone marrow, uh, in addition to tissues that we can get from donated births. And of course, no moms or babies are harmed in this, but we can use things like umbilical cord tissue, uh, placental matrix, and even amniotic fluid. Fascinating. And and let's talk about, I do want to talk about the differences, uh, maybe expand on some of the differences of each of those therapies in just a minute, but maybe let's start with the stem cell piece. So what what are stem cells and maybe walk through the various types also? Definitely. So stem cells are primitive cells in the body that have not yet differentiated into their end tissue or their end goal. And there's various types of stem cells. Um, the ones that a lot of people are familiar with are the ones that caught a lot of heat back in the early 90s, the embryonic stem cells that um, they were doing research on that came from a lot of that aborted tissue. That's not what's happening in the US anymore. Very much an illegal thing to do. Um, but that's where kind of a lot of people got their first information. So I think it's important to mention that. And those are the types of stem cells that can turn into any type of tissue in the body. So with these types comes the risk of things like tumors and cancer growth. We don't use those clinically. The next type that a lot of people are most familiar with are stem cells from the bone marrow. A lot of people are familiar with people receiving things like bone marrow transplants for certain types of cancer, things like leukemia. Uh, but we can also use bone marrow in clinical settings to help with certain musculoskeletal disorders in certain populations. Um, bone marrow stem cells are the type of stem cells that do decline dramatically in both numbers and their ability to function as we age. So after about age 30 to 40, we kind of stray away from using those again in that clinical musculoskeletal setting. The next place that we get stem cells, and this is something that I use a lot clinically, is actually taking them from a patient's own adipose or fat tissue. We live in America. Most people have an abundance that they're happy to see go or at least to utilize for a beneficial purpose. But the fat stem cells actually contain the stem cells that we want to use clinically. They're called mesenchymal stem cells or MSCs. And these ones are great because what they have the ability to do is in a clinical setting, they can actually influence uh, your body's ability to create new tissue in the forms of muscle, bone, cartilage, nerve, the outlining of nerves, basically everything that we would want to use to heal our bodies. 
which is great. Uh, they also work on a couple different mechanisms too. They actually have the ability to positively impact your immune system. So we've used these on patients who have autoimmune disorders to put them into remission, which has been really phenomenal. Um, we've also used these in other clinical settings for people who have severe mitochondrial dysfunction and mitochondrial disorders because stem cells have the ability to actually donate their mitochondria to stem to the cells that are in need in your own body, which is really cool. One thing I forgot to mention, the bone marrow stem cells are predominantly what we call hematopoietic stem cells, which are stem cells that can differentiate into our different blood lineages. And that's why they're really important for things like leukemia, which is mainly a blood cancer. It doesn't have a lot of the mesenchymal stem cells, which is what we again want for a lot of the musculoskeletal applications. Questions on any of that? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Really, I'm sure the audience is... Um... If they hadn't already heard of stem cells, now they have a really good understanding of it. But maybe we could now differentiate between the different types of treatments that are available. So we kind of have an understanding of, of what stem cells are. Let's talk about first, how can that help our bone health and maybe osteoporosis since the majority of our audience has that. And then let's talk about the different kinds of therapies and any other benefits they have for bone. Absolutely. So I think the First, most basic thing to mention is that technically every healing process in the body is a stem cell mediated response. So when we're talking about something like osteopenia and osteoporosis, what we become concerned with is can we get that osteoblast to actually create more bone tissue, right? Can we get that, get those numbers up? And what happens with that, I'll give you just a simple example because I'm sure you've had plenty of people talking about all the different ways that we can do this. Um, but estrogen, the female hormone, right? We know that that declines dramatically once we hit menopause. That's one of the things that actually increases the risk factors. Well, what a lot of people don't tell you is that estrogen will actually positively tell your MSCs that are already present in your bone marrow to differentiate into oste more osteoblasts so we can turn up that pro stem cell activity. So again, we know that estrogen is important, but that's one of the mechanisms by which it works. So we have this healings happening, stem cell mediated. What we have seen clinically in both that's happening in the literature right now is that people have been using stem cells from these various sources to help reverse osteopenia and osteoporosis completely. And we have, we have the studies that show increase in bone mineral density after receiving treatment. And the way that treatment is usually happening right now is actually through intravenous administration. And what that's doing is it's allowing the stem cells to basically enter in through a vein, travel throughout the whole entire body, pick up on those areas of damage and inflammation, and start to exhibit what we'll call a signaling effect, telling the, the tissue that's already native to you to start that healing process. So again, create more of those osteoblasts. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then what are the, uh, what are the other therapies too that could possibly play a role here? You mentioned a bunch of the, the beginning, uh, PRP, prolotherapy, those kinds of things. How, how can those play into a, a bone health plan or just a health plan in general? Yeah. So one of the things that I've actually helped patients with in the past, of course, in addition to osteopenia and osteoporosis, is patients who have gotten so far into their disease progression that they've ended up with uh, fractures because of the osteopenia and osteoporosis. We've been able to use PRP to actually help heal those fractures a lot faster and stronger because that can actually stimulate more osteoblast formation as well. And again, PRP is super simple to do. We just, we pull some blood, we inject at the site that you had that fracture with an ultrasound. Of course, we want to make sure we are 
targeting it precisely. And we are able to get a really, really great result for the patient as far as faster healing, stronger bones at the end of it. The other things that we can probably touch on too is a lot of the products that are from birth tissue. So what's happening in the United States versus what's happening in other countries is very different. I know a lot of the buzzwords right now are surrounding things like um, umbilical cord products. In other countries, what they have the ability to do is actually take those fresh umbilical cords, put them in a growth medium, culture them, expand them, and get you dosages of millions of stem cells that are still fresh. Our regulations in the United States are a little bit different and actually don't allow that process to happen. So instead, what we get is a fresh piece of umbilical cord or some amniotic fluid or piece of placenta. And we can uh, we can't really grow culture and expand it, but what we can do is we can cryopreserve it, irradiate it, and send those doses out to clinics. The difference is, is that it doesn't always end up being a high-dose stem cell treatment, but it ends up being just simply concentrated growth factors. Not a bad product, just going to behave a little bit differently in the sense that we might not get as strong of a response uh, when it comes to influencing those osteoblasts. That's interesting. What are What are some other maybe... Uh, things that we haven't talked about yet that you think are important to talk about in terms of regenerative medicine? Oh my goodness. What a open-ended question. So I think one thing to to really mention is what makes somebody a good candidate for stem cell therapy? And this is because the environment that you put the stem cells into, it certainly matters. Just like you wouldn't you know, try to plant a garden in the most dry, hard ground ever without, a, without first at least working the soil and really preparing it to be a really good host for that garden. Same thing with stem cells, right? They're going to work the best when we put them into a really, really receptive host. So what does that mean, right? Well, we have some pretty hard cutoffs, right? So if somebody has active cancer, they're definitely not a good candidate for stem cells just because we don't know if we can possibly make that cancer worse. Um, it's very unethical to do those studies. So unfortunately, we probably won't have those answers. Uh, second, smokers. Smokers are a very, very poor host for stem cells because not only are your own stem cells um, really not working, your blood flow has been damaged. And one of the most important things to get stem cells to work really well is having excellent blood flow in your system. So smokers are out. And then there's certain medications that really don't play well with stem cells. Uh, steroid medications are one of them, things like dexamethasone, cortisone, prednisone, um, and even some anti-inflammatories like Advil, leave, and ibuprofen. What these do is they actually stop the first part of a healing cycle, which is the inflammatory phase. So the stem cells aren't actually able to do any healing. So we, that's one of the other options. And then of course, this is this one always kind of like ruffles some feathers and I am just the messenger here. Um, but being in the obese category of, as far as BMI goes, does not make a person a really great host for stem cells because there is this threshold whereby a person's fat tissue becomes more inflammatory and their body is in a generalized greater inflammatory state, uh, which makes it very hard for the stem cells to survive and thrive in. So those are the general things there. Of course, there's some more nuance in that, but ultimately the healthier person go is going into the treatment the better off they're being, they're they're going to be. So of course, being up on their nutrition, if they have the ability to have hormones, um, if they're doing physical activity, I'm sure a, a lot of the things that you're already preaching to your to your people. Yeah, and are there any things that you've seen help support that natural stem cell function production 
without even actually having the therapy. Obviously, the therapy could be the next step or could be something that's important for someone's plan in the future. But are there any other things that they could do uh, before that? Absolutely. Intermittent fasting is actually one of the best ways to get some stem cells all like released into circulation. Uh, again, we talk about using stem cells from our patient's own fat tissue. Well, when you get into intermittent fasting and you're into a state where you're fat burning, well, you're opening up those fat cells and you are releasing stem cells into circulation. So they can actually go out, go about and start this healing process for you. I already mentioned estrogen, of course. So if it is within a person's means to work with a hormone replacement uh, provider, or at least try to, you know, there's herbs that you can incorporate to things like Dong Kwai that can increase estrogen levels in some people that can be beneficial too. Those would be some really great places to start in, a, in addition to, of course, lifting weights. I love resistance training. Um, not only are you going to get the benefits of the load on there, but you are triggering more healing, which means more release of stem cells, which of course we can't go wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important because a lot of times people are told to just go for a walk or do some weight bearing exercise. And that really is not enough of a stimulus to uh, build that bone strength and actually get to the point where you're you're providing the stimulus that you need to become stronger. So 100% agree, you need to have resistance training in there, uh, regardless of what form that looks like, whether it's barbells, it's dumbbells, it's uh, variable resistance bands, which can be fantastic. All those things can be great additions too. Anything else you think is important to share with our audience about stem cells or uh, the, you know the the use of them too? I would just say if this is something that's kind of piqued your interest and you're like, oh my gosh, I really need to, I want to find out more. I'm really curious. Maybe there's a doctor in my area. Couple things to look for when trying to choose a provider to have this therapy with, if it is something that you're worth, that's worth considering. Uh, one, how long have they been doing it? Do they actually specialize in it? Um, you really don't want somebody who's kind of dabbling in this. You you really want somebody who has had experience with the conditions that you are expressing um, and of course applying it in a very specific way uh, you want to know what kind of kind of uh, processing they're doing with your with your tissue if it's coming from you you want to know what kind of company they're working with if they are getting a birth tissue product for you um, making sure that they're undergoing the you know more advanced testing to make sure that it is of course a clean product a lot of companies will only do the bare minimal testing for communicable diseases we like to work with companies that do very much expanded testing. Um, and then we also make sure that we are working with companies that will test, and this might be a controversial thing to say, but some people do care about this, um, that we are not sourcing any of these umbilical or placental or birth tissue products from people who have received the COVID vaccine, just because we don't know how it can transfer into that birth tissue. Um, so we make sure that we are sourcing from good products or good places like that. And then of course, talking to the, the provider about what the treatment looks like, both short-term and long-term. How many treatments are you gonna need? Uh, what does the follow-up look like? What kind of markers are we looking for and measuring for? And making sure that you actually have those, those baselines ready. That's great. Can you maybe touch on just some of those markers? What, what are the things that may be monitored over time if you are actually going through, you know, stem cell therapy? It depends what we're treating. So a lot of the time, if a patient's coming to us with something like osteopenia and osteoporosis, they have their scans, right? Like they've undergone their DEXA scans. Um, they have the data with them. And if they haven't, for whatever reason, we would make sure we would want to get updated ones for before treatment to see exactly where we're starting. And then of course we do follow up with them. And when we talk about doing follow-up, 
when we're initially meeting with our patients, we talk about how is this impacting your life right now? Where are your restrictions? What would you like to be doing? And that kind of formulates what we're tracking as well with our follow-up, okay? So if they want to be doing a certain degree of physical activity, if they want to simply be going for walks with their significant other, taking their dog out, we say, okay, at three months, where are you at in this? At six months, how much progress have you made? And usually six months to a year is when we would have them repeat those scans because that's when we'll actually start to really see the changes on like on the bone density itself, on the T scores and the Z scores. Yeah. And for, for bone density too, we would, we would probably look at them, you know, one, one and a half, two years out from a bone density perspective, but I would be interested in looking at some of the bone quality technology or even the bone markers. I'd be interested in looking at the bone markers in the near term. So your, your CTX, your bone resorption, bone breakdown markers, those are the most sensitive markers for bone breakdown. I'd be interested in seeing the impact that that has on those markers too. And also bone formation, P1NP, pro-collagen, type 1 N-terminal propeptide. I think that'd be an interesting one to look at too. And then any other natural health, like other health markers that, that would be important outside of just bone health too. We always just looking at, love looking at um, mineral status on a lot of these patients too, because of course, as I'm sure you know, we need not just calcium, we need kind of a broad spectrum of minerals as well. So normally we'll do some blood testing to kind of get a baseline on those to make sure that, hey, we're at least getting the substrates, right? Because you can have the signal from the stem cells, but if they don't have the tools that they need to build it, we're kind of at a standstill, right? We have to make sure that those substrates are coming into. So we like looking at those. We like looking at a person's overall inflammatory picture. So are they expressing high levels of HSCRP? Do we need to calm down some other process in the body first so that the body can actually focus on healing this one area? Because um, that's what a lot of people... This is actually an interesting phenomena um, when it comes to actually the healing cycle of stem cells. So we usually see changes in a person's uh, presentation and how they how they feel in their body within the first 30 days. But one healing cycle takes a minimum of six to 12 weeks. So we always tell people you're in this for the long haul. Um, we know based on the research that stem cells can continue to regenerate for anywhere from six months to a year. So there's lots of healing that's possible with this. And the thing that we really have to caution patients on is just because you're feeling better sooner does not mean that's the time to really go and push yourself. And I'll tell you why. The body's kind of lazy. The body really wants to focus on healing one thing at a time. This is why somebody can have something like chronic back pain, but maybe they go out on the weekend, have a few too many drinks, they get a hangover and they can heal from that hangover, but the back is still nagging at them, right? The body likes to go after the acute, it likes to go after the fresh because it can take care of it. Similar thing when we're using stem cell therapy and we're trying to heal a longstanding chronic thing, what we don't want someone to do is do too much physical activity too soon and cause those micro tears in the muscles that are of course good for rebuilding those and getting the strength back in, but it's going to take away from stem cells working on the chronic stuff. So it sounds a little bit backwards, but those first those first six weeks are absolutely crucial to really take it easy so we can allow the body to focus. Fantastic. Um, any last notes? I know we've got, we can tell people where you're located at, where they can find you and things like that. Any last notes you want to share with our audience before we uh, wrap this up? I think just just words of encouragement. You know, we are so fortunate to be living in a world right now where we have access to so much good information. We are making so many incredible advances in different types of therapies beyond what patients would have been used to even 10, 20 years ago, right? Um, just the medications that can, you know, possibly delay it, certainly not 
oftentimes reverse it, you know, but we have people like you who are doing incredible work, teaching people all over the world to, you know, really heal this on their own. Um, and then of course, for the cases that need it, we have these advanced therapies that can, you know, really just get them back to a place where they, they want to be and enhance that quality of life. So keep the hope, understand those advances being made all the time. And medicine is, I think we're on this incredible upward trajectory with the things that we're going to be capable of doing in the next 10 to 20 years. So wonderful place to be. You know what? I do have one other question about peptides too. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe we can touch on that. If you want to walk through what are peptides? Uh, how can they be helpful for not just your bones, but also your your general health? And are there any specific peptides that you think could be beneficial? Gosh, this is such a bittersweet conversation right now. I'm not sure if you're aware, but just recently, um, the FDA kind of came down and took away so many of the beautiful peptides that we have been using safely for many, many years. And it sucks because now we don't really know what's going to be left over and to what degree and if pharmacies are going to be compounding new but similar peptides. So, you know, I don't can want to get some excited. No, can you talk about, because this is important. I, I did hear this uh, already mm -hmm. recently, but can you talk about what actually happened there uh, and, and how that's impacting the peptide space right now? Yeah. So without putting on my tinfoil hat and talking about what interests the FDA has in our actual health, sure. um, what happened was they basically put these pep this class of peptides on this particular chopping block that says these require black box warnings because they're so, so, so dangerous to humans. We absolutely cannot have these. And they kind of made this decision amongst themselves without allowing anybody else to kind of combat it. So it happened in the shadows, nobody was made aware of it, and we just lost them. It was, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but I was like, this feels like the Red Wedding where all my favorites were just surprisingly executed. Like nobody saw this coming. So if you look at that reference grade, if you don't, not a big deal. But right now we're we're left with only a handful. So one one class that we're left with and um that I really, really love for for patients that are trying to do anything reparative wise are our growth hormone releasing analogs. So one of the best ones is something called sermorelin. Have you used that one before? Or are you familiar with it at all? Oh, go ahead and explain it. Okay. So sermorelin is a growth hormone releasing peptide. So what that does is it tells your body to release more growth hormone and growth hormone does exactly what it says, right? It helps your body grow in different ways. What's really cool about these peptides that makes it different from actually just going ahead and receiving growth hormone is that they're a lot safer. So when you actually, if you were to just go and receive a growth hormone injection, if it's too high, too much, what's going to happen to your body is you're going to start growing things that shouldn't be growing, things like your organs, your nose, your ears. Um, and while the, the physical representations kind of sound funny, it actually becomes really dangerous if something like your heart starts growing, right? Your heart is the perfect size, just the way it is. There's no Grinch stuff happening here. You don't need to grow it. So that can increase risk of things like heart attacks, general cardiovascular disease, strokes. We just don't want that to happen. Sure. The peptides are a lot safer because while they're going to stimulate your body to create more growth hormone, it's never going to be in excess of what is appropriate for your body. So of course, that's going to allow more stem cells to be used and released. It's going to allow you to burn fat easier, put on muscle easier, grow hair easier. Your skin can lose its wrinkles. You can have more energy, more brain power. 
it really is as good as it says it is. I mean, you just have to pop into Google benefits of growth hormone and you'll see lists upon lists of amazing things. And what's really cool is that most people only have to do one round a year because uh, that signaling will continue. So a lot of times we do 90 days of something like Sermorlin and you get the benefits lasting you even into the next year. And we can actually ch uh, check on labs something called your IGF-1, which is your insulin-like growth factor one. And we'll see an increase in that because that's what's going to indirectly tell us that your growth hormone has increased because it's, it's next to impossible to test growth hormone itself on labs. Fantastic. Uh, well, that's that's really really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing and for sharing the update. You know that came down uh, in terms of the the peptides because uh, we've we've had a few conversations about this recently, and then this news came out, and uh, it's it's kind of unfortunate that some of these technologies and uh, therapies that could be really beneficial, some people may never may never get the benefits of them uh, because some of this. Uh, regulation. And, but on the same side, I understand how in some cases regulation can be important for things. I think we need a system of checks and balances, but I think there are a lot of people in the health space that were very frustrated with how uh, everything happened with this latest decision around peptides. Yeah. And I'm actually, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind even just throwing in a little note about um, the FDA and regulations when it comes to stem cell therapy. Yeah, so please. When it comes to that, really the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. So what they are responsible for regulating when it comes to stem cells are the products that come from donor tissue that could potentially be registered as a drug product. Um, the FDA has no regulation over the cells in your own body because they are neither a food nor a drug. So something like a bone marrow procedure, an adipose procedure, a PRP procedure, these are not quote unquote FDA regulated because they're not food or drugs. It's a same day surgical office procedure between you and your provider. It has nothing to do with the FDA, um, but the FDA does regulate and oversee the birth tissue stuff. So I want to make that recommendation because sometimes we've had patients who are like, well, is this FDA approved? I'm like, well, no, because it's not, you know, was somebody's, you know, breast lift a FDA approval? No, but the FDA likely approved whatever implants might have been used, right? So that's the difference between the surgical procedure, whereas the FDA has oversight. Yeah, thank you so much for that clar clarification because I'm I'm sure there is some confusion around that for the end consumer who's trying to make these decisions and wade through and they want to see that FDA approval on there, but you know, is that necessarily needed? Right, and we unfortunately won't get any FDA approval when it comes to stem cell therapies unless a company somehow creates a stem cell drug product which based on our current science right now is next to impossible because you really can't mass produce um, stem cells to any degree and maintain the viability and maintain um, kind of the checks and balances that they would need to have to keep a consistent product. So I don't think we will get to that point, possibly not even in our, in our lifetime. Dr. Zolt, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. You want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah, I'm most active on social media on Instagram. So I'm just at Dr. Stolt on there. And then our clinical our clinic website is uh, stemcelltherapypro.com. If you pop my name into Google, it should pop right up there for you. Um, and so if you're interested, uh, we have plenty of information on our website, plenty of information on my social media. Happy to talk to you if you think this is something you want to consider. 
Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing. And uh, for everybody listening, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned today right down below. And you can also head over to bonecoach.com. Just type that into Google. You're going to find uh, everything you need and you'll find this episode as well. So thanks again. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.